turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're going to let the uh, young people be dismissed uh, for junior church. As they go, I'd like you to find your way to 1 Peter, chapter 2, in your Bibles this morning. I'm surprised as I look at the uh, clock on the uh, podium this morning that we're, uh, it's only 1019. So, time is moving slowly. First Peter chapter 2, and I want to I pick up <clears throat> our reading in uh, chapter 1 and verse 22 this morning. First Peter 1, 22, and then we're going down through chapter 2 and verse 3. Uh, <clears throat> most of you, I hope, realize that the, the breaks, chapter, and verse divisions that are present in the Word of God are not part of the original writing. Okay, the Bible was written basically in paragraph form as letters or as historical narrative. The chapters and verse divisions were put in later. Can anybody guess why? Okay, yeah, so you can find, basically it just gives addresses to portions of the Word of God so that when we're teaching it, uh, trying to reference it, we have points of reference that we can look to. Okay, so... When you see that I'm going to be crossing from chapter 1 into chapter 2, it's because I believe the thought between these two chapters is connected by the first word of verse 1, which is the word therefore. Okay, which means that there is a direct correlation between what has been said and what is about to be said in the beginning of chapter 2. Okay, one other thing I want to do is this. I want to welcome home our college students who are with us uh, today. Um, you guys want to stand up real quick? Just real quick, if you would. Okay, if you're a college student in your home. Okay. All right, all right, good. Got three of you home, and I think uh, a number here next week also. So we're grateful for you all. I uphold you in prayer, and pray that uh, our worship today and our time of the work can be a blessing to you. All right, let's begin reading at verse 22 of First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> it says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, see that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For, and then he quotes from Isaiah 40, all men are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord, in contrast to humanity and agriculture, the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word, this word that is enduring, that stands forever. This is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This morning I'm going to end my mini-series on the importance, value, and blessing of the Word of God in our lives as Christians. I want to ask you this question this morning. How important is the Bible to me, to my life, and to my family? How important is the Word of God, the Bible, to me, to my life, and to my family? Okay? One of the ways you may test how important it is 
in your life and in your family life is the asking yourself this question. Is the Bible something that we hunt for, scurry to find on Sunday morning so that we can have it on our lap when we get to church? Okay? Or is it something that is ever-present in our lives, regularly investigated, regularly applied, and making a difference? Is the intake of God's Word a habit Working towards, I don't, I don't want you to feel guilty if you are semi-sporadic. The question is this, am I in my intake of the Word of God regular, habitual in my intake of God's Word? Should I have the goal of being daily in the Word of God? I think the answer is absolutely. Why? It is the light for our path. And so when we raise the emphasis of the importance of Scripture, what we're saying is it should be part of our life. It is a word of vital importance. Now, this paragraph is addressed directly to, specifically to believers in context. If you go back to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, I think you'll see this fairly clearly. The audience is those who have not yet seen him and yet love him, and even though they do not see him, they believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, for they are receiving the goal of their faith, the salvation of their souls. So the audience of 1 Peter <clears throat> is people who have already experienced the indwelling work of the Spirit of God. Verse 23 identifies the audience as those who have been, and what's the word here? This is the touchy word in our culture. Those who have been born again, whose life disposition has been altered by the grace of God. Okay, so I, I just want you to understand that the, the audience that is addressed here is those who have already come to personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. So this morning, if you have placed saving faith in Christ and been born again by the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God, then this passage of Scripture <clears throat> is addressed specifically to you. And what it addresses at some level is this. What is true about God's Word for believers? What is the benefit or the intended purpose of it in our daily experience. Okay, now I just want to point out, flowing out of this passage, four purposes for which the Word of God comes into your life. Why did God leave us with this book? What is its importance? What is its role in our life? And so I want to look at four basic truths. The first one emerges in verse 22. It says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth okay now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth now let me make this very clear the first command in the word of god to the world is found in acts chapter 2 it says repent and believe the good news okay the call to a personal relationship with god is a command the way that you come to faith in Christ and begin to experience life change is by coming and saying, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Save me by the message of the gospel, that is that Christ died for my sin, was buried, and rose again the third day. He did that in my place. Okay, so, these people have been purified in two ways. By obeying the command of the gospel to repent and believe, but also they have been purified by responding obediently to the teaching of the Word of God in their daily life. Now, I want you to look at this first thought then with me. 
first thought is this. God's word is valuable and precious because his word changes you as you obey it. Okay, the indication at the beginning of verse 21 is you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. That is, the word of God, when it is listened to and then applied in our life, will yield to greater purity and holiness in our lives. If you find that your life is being infected with and invaded by, infiltrated by sin, what you need to do is get to the Word of God, turn on the searchlight, and confess the things that God wants you to confess. Obey the truth of the Word of God. The result will be that your life will begin to change for the glory of God. The Word of God in this text is identified as the agent of continuing change. You were changed, you were purified by obeying the truth, which means this. You see the signpost of the Word of God on the road of your life. And as you see the direction it points, you yield to the Word of God. That is the idea of the last song that we sang. Lord, I give you my heart. The direction that your Word points in my life, I'm going to follow it. And as you do it, Peter can say this. Your lives are being purified by the Word of God. As you not simply hear it, but as you obey it and begin to put it into practice. Now, it's fascinating then in verse 22 that he goes to an acid test of change. How do I know if my life is really changing? How do I know if my life is, as the beginning of verse 22 says, being purified by obeying the truth? Notice what he says. By obeying the truth, you have sincere love for your brothers. And then he gives them this command. Love one another deeply from the heart. How can I know if my life is changing? How can I know if the old man is being put to death and the new man or new woman is emerging in my life? Here's the acid test. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? And he uses two separate words in this verse to describe that love. It is a, a love that is sincere. It is not hypocritical. It is not faked, acted, or schemed. It's not tricky love. It's not the right thing when I'm face to face. It is a sincere love. The word for sincere love first is Philadelphia, which means it is a sincere affection for the family of God. Folks, one of the key evidences of conversion, and I believe the essential evidence of conversion based upon 1 John 3 and verse 14, is do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that is what the Word of God teaches me to do. What Peter is saying is if you yield to the Word of God, it will produce in your life a love for the brothers that is a love of affection. But then he says, <clears throat> in terms of a command, okay, you have sincere love for your brothers. Now, love one another deeply from the heart. The word there is the word agape love, which is a self-sacrificing, God-like love that sacrifices for the benefit of others. So one of the ways that I know I'm growing in listening to the Word of God is this. I will find my love quotient increasing. My affection for brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll find that affection growing. And if that affection is not present, then I need to ask myself this question. Have I been genuinely converted? Now, I just turn your attention to 1 John chapter 3, and verse 14. That if there is no love for the brothers then I need to question whether I have been genuinely converted. One writer has said this, Love is the noblest jewel 
in the crown of early Christianity. It is a love that crosses boundaries, ethnic, social, status boundaries, all of those things. And as you study the Word of God, it will create in you a desire to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. So the first question I ask you this morning as application is this. Am I obeying the Word of God that I know? Okay, here's what you need to do. Look at your life and ask yourself in very specific areas where God is speaking into your life, into your marriage, into your family, into your workplace, into your friendships, into your entertainment, where He is speaking, turning on the searchlight of truth. Am I obeying it? If you are obeying it, I can guarantee you are experiencing life change. And that life change is one of the greatest joys of the Christian experience. So, God's Word should be followed because it changes you when you obey it. Secondly, and this is very powerful truth, verse 23. He says, you should do this for, notice the logical connection now, okay? The Word of God changes you, causes you to love for, and this tells us then why. For you have been born again, and there's that word, okay? People out in the street, they say, hey, are you a, and they always hesitate, you one of those born-again Christians? But yep, I am. Okay? And they they kind of sense that you are, and they're kind of asking. Then the question is this. They think that that is a man-made term. You need to illuminate them to the fact that the command to be born again falls from the lips of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 3, John chapter 3, and verse 7, Jesus said, except a man is born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of God. How does that new birth, though, that Peter picks up from the words of Christ. How does that new birth take place? Notice what he says. You have been born again, not by perishable seed, but of imperishable, that is, through the living and abiding Word of God. Fascinating, isn't it? When you obey the Word of God, it changes you. Second thought is this. Why is God's Word valuable? Because it is the agent of new birth and lasting life change. Okay, it is the agent of new birth. It is the message that God used to convert your heart as the Spirit of God applied the truth of God's Word to your hard heart. He took the hard heart out and gave you a heart of flesh that is now responsive and sensitive to God. So God's Word is the agent of new birth. Now, I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 1 and verses 16 and 17. Just flip back a few books to Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17. I want, you, I want you to see the connection between God's Word being the agent of new birth. To see that, that Paul and Peter had the same theology about the impact and power of the Word of God. <clears throat> Romans 1 verse 16. Here's what Paul says. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now what he, when he says gospel, what does he mean? Okay, if you go to first. Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, this is the message I delivered unto you as of greatest importance, and it's the gospel in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ was buried. Christ rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That is the message. Paul said, that, when I came to you, that is the preeminent pronouncement that I made into your lives. Why did he do that? Verse 16 of Romans 1 tells you. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes 
first to the Jew, then for the Greek, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the just will live by faith. How did Paul believe that people would be converted? How did he believe that people would experience life change initially at the born-again moment and then throughout the rest of their life? He believed that it would come by hearing the Word of God. Now, I'll give you another verse from Romans 10 and verse 17. It says, So then faith, trust in the gospel, comes by hearing and hearing what? Hearing the Word of God. Okay? So, if I obey the Word of God, it changes me. But I need to remember that that change originated at a point of conversion when the Word of God came and rebirthed me, gave me new life, the gospel message saved me, and then that truth implanted in me by the Holy Spirit is what brings about lasting change. Go to verse, back to 1 Peter, go to verse 3 of chapter 1. You will never be happy. You need the new... Back to 1 Peter, verse 3 of chapter 1. Because I want you to understand that this word of God changes us as the Spirit of God applies it to our life. Changes our attitude, changes our disposition. Verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Praise be to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, what has He done? He has given us, some translations say, He has caused us to experience a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you folks think about that the word of God came in your heart and as the spirit of God applied it to your heart it brought conviction that conviction produced a cry to God of faith saying God I believe that Jesus is my only hope and when that faith is exercised as prompted by the spirit God does what he changes your heart what does that mean that means salvation will never make a reborn person proud. It will always make them humble. Why? Because we know that we are born again not as a result of human will, not as a result of human effort. We are born again by the Word of God as the Spirit of God opened our eyes, opened our heart, and regenerated us and gave us a sensitivity to God and to His Word. So the Word of God is very precious to Christians because it is the, it is the agent of new birth when it is supplied by the Spirit of God. The application point here is this. When you think of your salvation and of the life change that God is producing in you, don't ever become smug or self-satisfied with what's happening in your life. Realize that it is a result of the glorious, patient, infinite work of a glorious, powerful God in your life. And if you see incremental change occurring in your life as a Christian, fall on your knees and say, God, thank you. You've changed this desire in my heart. You, you have so changed me that I can say I have sincere love. It's not fake. I have sincere love for the brothers and sisters in Christ. You are changing me by your grace. So, God's word changes you as you obey it. It is the agent of new birth and lasting life change. It is what continues to work that out. Third, and this is fascinating, notice the connection now, verse 24. 
the word for ties us back into this idea of the word of God being living and enduring and life-changing. For all men are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls off, but in contrast to humanity and to agriculture, in contrast to those two things, the word of the Lord stands forever. Folks, here's the bottom line. You can grow things and watch them grow to maturity and then die. You can watch humanity, and here's something that is certain for every person sitting in this room, apart from the coming of Jesus Christ. Every one of you will experience death. That is a 100% reliable truth. Peter talks about agriculture. The grass withers and the flower falls off. It grows up, it's beautiful, but then it falls away. And then, quoting from Isaiah, he compares humanity to that grass. Do you ever feel this way? I am 40, how old am I? 47 years old, okay? I've I've realized something in recent years. It is likely that I am over halfway through my life. It is likely that I have less time to live than I have already lived. I don't like that. But you know what? That is an unavoidable truth. Grass grows, plants grow, and then they die, and then we experience... Okay? We grow, we live, but we die. But in contrast to that, what does the Word of God do? Notice what he says in verse 25. He says, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Grass grows up and it falls. Humanity grows up and falls. But the Word of the Lord stands forever. What does that mean? I mean, I know what it says. What does that mean that the word of the Lord stands forever? Well, in one sense, when it says it's the word of the Lord, what it means is this. It is the expression of the character and desire of God. So, if I ignore this book and its directives in my life, who am I ignoring? I am ignoring God. But it also means this. That word from God about his character, it stands. It is planted. It will never change. Forever. What does that mean in your life? That the word of the Lord is not fickle. It's not there and then gone. It's not true one day and false another. No. It stands forever. Here's what I think that means. It means that the word of God is the reliable foundation upon which I can build my life. Folks, think about the magnitude of that statement. The Word of God is a reliable foundation upon which I can build my life. We live in a world of amazing fickleness in regards to technology, uh, diet, you know, things that are true today are untrue tomorrow. You ever notice that? Coffee's good for you, coffee's bad for you. Chocolate's good for you, chocolate's good for you, okay? <laughs> something like, something like that, okay? That, that you, you hear, oh, latest report says this, and then this, and what, what do we get used to? We get used to everything being foggy, that you, you, that's what they're saying today. Okay, the market's going to go up, the market's going to go down, that's what they're, but, and then tomorrow, no, that's, and, and you can listen. Why does, why does, why do numerous TV channels flourish in America? You know Why? Because all of those opinions point to a moral ambiguity about life, 
a fog. But Peter, when he looks at the word of God, he reaches back to Isaiah and he quotes, the word of the Lord stands forever. Young people, this is the foundation you should build your life upon. Not upon the whims that come and go in the world in which you live. Build your life on the firm foundation of the word of God. Why? Its truth is reliable. It stands forever, unchanging. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 is the promise that you should wrap your arms around. So is my word, God says, that goes out from my mouth. The expression of my design, my purpose, my plans, infinite, unchanging. So shall it be, the word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish what I desire. And it will achieve the purpose for which I send it. Folks, that is so liberating. When you look at your life and you face decisions that you have to make, make them based upon this reliable foundation. Always asking yourself this very basic disciples question. What do I need to do in this or that situation to maintain being a follower of Jesus Christ? Folks, that is the only question that matters. Not what do I have to do to maintain people's approval, to have my friends like me, to keep this or that girlfriend or boyfriend. No. That is an unreliable foundation. Or what I have to do to keep my job or to get a promotion or to keep my wife happy, or to keep my husband happy. No. Build your life on the solid, unchanging principles of the Word of God. Here's something I've noticed in my life. There are many different translations of the Bible, but there are no new editions of the Bible. Not Different translations, but only one edition. Now, folks, that is powerful. This book, the newest document in here, is about 2,000 years old, 1,900 years old. And you can go back a lot further than that when you go back into the older documents. You know what's amazing? This book still shows me how to live today. In a modern world full of technology, this word stands forever. And what I, my experience has been this. People that live by this book live happier lives. That is an observable fact. Because God will not be denied. He will not be successfully ignored. His word powerfully stands forever. Am I living my life in accordance with the dictates and standards of God's word that stands forever? Look, It'll change, your life. It'll change your life when you obey it. It is what brought you into the family of God. It gave you new birth. Its instruction for your life is trustworthy. You can build your life on it with absolute confidence. And the last thought I want to leave you with this morning emerges in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. It says, Therefore, in light of the fact that God's word does not change, in light of the fact that when it is followed, it changes you and causes you to love, in light of that fact, Therefore, rid yourselves of... And then he's going to go into a list of five words. Okay? Notice what they are. Rid yourselves of malice. That's just general category for sin, for evil. Okay? And then he gives you four words that talk about relational or social evil. Why? Because most of the evil in the world tends to be relational, doesn't it? Most sin that you can commit always affects God 
or someone else, doesn't it? Do you ever think about the Word of God in that way? All sin that you can commit either affects your relationship with God or your relationship with the rest of humanity. That's why Jesus can say, I'll summarize the commandments of God, love God, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, what will you avoid? You will avoid this list of relational sins that are prevalence. And that's why the Word of God addresses them on a regular basis. God brings up lists like this. He says, let the searchlight of Scripture shine into your life. And when you see malice, when you see social erosion, broken structures in your relationships, rid yourself of it. And then he says, and slander of, any, of every kind. Any kind of talk that degrades others. Rid yourself of it. Now, here's the last thought I want to leave you with this morning. God's Word, when it is listened to and obeyed, will cause sustained or continual growth and progress in your life. When it is obeyed, not when I, listen, not when I know it, but when I actually put it into practice. And I put it into practice in two ways. I cut sin out of my life as the Word of God exposes it. When God shows you something, don't harbor it, don't coddle it. The word at the beginning of this passage is very clear. Therefore, rid yourselves of these things. You can go back into the book of Ephesians. Paul says this, like taking off dirty clothes. Put off and put on. Put off and put on. The Word of God will show you how to get your life in order in a way that will cause continual growth. It confronts the struggles that we all face and tells us to get rid of those unhealthy practices. Folks, can I let you in on a secret? If you're new in the body of Christ, new to the family of God, there is not one person in this room who is not affected by the harsh list that is in verse 1. No one. No one here has arrived. No one here is free from those things. That's why Peter is saying, let the Word of God illuminate those areas of your life. And when He does, rid yourself of those things. And don't sit around bummed out that I am the only one struggling with this or that sin. You're not. You're not. The Word of God comes into your life to illuminate, to show you the areas where change needs to occur. Don't be overwhelmingly disgusted with yourself be disgusted with sin and let the Word of God purge it. And when He shows it to you, say, God, I confess that. I want that out of my life. I want to have healthy relationships with others and with you. Verses 2 through 3 comes to the heart of this passage. I believe the imperative command that binds it all together. Like newborn babies, crave Pure spiritual milk. Now you're going to say, NIV says pure spiritual milk. Does anybody have New American Standard? What does it say? The milk of the word? Is that what it says? Okay. The idea here is tied back into the context of the last phrase in chapter 1. Okay, where it says, this is the word that was preached to you. Okay, that, this idea of spiritual, the Greek word is logikon here. Spiritual logic Okay, which obviously in the context is rooted in what? It's rooted in the Word of God. Peter says to the early church, crave the pure milk of the Word. Like what? 
like a newborn baby so that you may grow up in your salvation. Folks, if you want to experience progress in your spiritual life, stagnation is not fun. We all want to experience forms of progress in our spiritual life. If you want that, crave the Word of God. What might that mean in your life? It may mean giving up 15 minutes of sleep in the morning. It may mean not hitting the snooze button when you so... How many of you this morning hit the snooze button? Okay, I did two times. I confess. Okay, losing an hour of sleep hurts. That's when you go to bed a little late. It really hurts. Okay, it'll mean getting up a little earlier so that this life-giving, life-illuminating word can take root in my life. For a newborn infant, what is milk? What is it? It's it's not food. It's necessary food. It is life-sustaining food. It is not optional for a baby. To ignore it means death. And Paul says to the early church, crave, go after, pursue the Word of God. Young people, I can tell you this. Create this habit in your life young. Let the Word of God be part of your daily life young. It is hard to create this habit as you get older. It can be done and it is essential and vital and should be done. But how much better if we would crave it young and say, God, I want my life to be built upon this solid, unchanging foundation. Because in the academic realm, what do you find? All kinds of changing opinions about just about everything. And the Word of God addresses those things. And if you follow it consistently and faithfully, it'll change your life. And it'll cause you to be strong and healthy as a child of God. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now what is he saying? Every person that is addressed in this passage has been born again by the Word of God. When you are born again by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, what have you done? You have tasted the goodness of God. And Peter says, Crave the milk of the Word of God. Love the Word of God. Live the Word of God. If you've tasted that God is good, you see, the motivation is this. If you have partaken of the glory of God and the gospel of Christ, and you know what it is to be forgiven, to have your life changed, if you know that, then wouldn't it be logical that you would crave the pure, unadulterated, unmixed Word of God so that by it you may grow in relationship? to your father do you see the connection this word will change your life you avoid it at your own peril you embrace it not so you can have a better life you embrace it and you live it because you have tasted that God is good and you know what you want to do with your life you want to live for his glory because he has so changed not only your life your human existence He's changed your eternal destiny. What is he saying? If you've tasted the goodness of God, then crave this book. Crave the word of God. And when you do, it will change you. It will bring new birth in your life. It will give you a reliable foundation upon which to build your life. And it will sustain continual progress and growth in your walk with God. Folks, let me just ask you this question this morning. Do you want to grow? Do you want your life just to stay the way it is? If it's a life with known sin, do you want to stay there? 
or do you want to confess it and grow? Because you remember what it was like to taste that God is good. You know what sin does? Sin steals the joy of the Lord. If you have known sin in your life, my challenge to you this morning is this. Confess it, confront it, rid yourselves of it so that God can begin to work in your life. Remember His saving grace. Grace that came to you when the Word of God was preached to you. And that Word first shone its light in your life and brought you to conviction about your sin and rebirthed you. And today in your life, crave that milk of the Word. Because if you do, it will cause you to experience growth and life change. That will bring joy to your life and a renewed desire to savor the work of God, the delight of God in your life. Let's bow our heads this morning.